You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And uh, you've come to the gardening program. Um, are we on air? We're, yes, I'm getting, I'm getting fingers up. Good, we're on air. Well, Hooray. welcome everybody. Um, Stephen Ryan, Dixonia Rare Plants and the YouTube channel The Horticulturalists. So come on board and have a look at that at some stage or another. And we have two guests in the pro- on the uh, program this morning. Uh, Macalia, I'll get you to actually explain your background and what you're doing so that people <laughs> okay, are Okay, so my background's a little bit extensive in my short life so far. <laughs> um, but the main thing about me is my passion for native plants, which I've probably mentioned previously. Uh, so I'm currently working for Philip Withers Landscape Architecture. I'm a horticulture consultant there and um, I've been assisting in bringing more of a focus to Indigenous and native plants into design. Um, Previously, I've worked in garden maintenance. I've worked in wholesale tree nursery production. I've worked in retail nursery, uh, notably Karanga Native Nursery, which I love very much. Um, Yes, that's my background pretty much. uh, So I would think that then if anybody's got any questions about native plants, you yes. might be the person that we need this Correct. Week. Yes, yeah. I'll always do my best <laughs> to answer those questions. And I feel like it's great coming in here because, I mean, I've worked in the world of exotics only briefly, but I always love coming in here and talking to other guests on the show and learning a little bit more about that, especially working in design now where uh, we use a few more exotics. Yeah. Um, so I like to learn more about it. Isn't that the fun thing about horticulture, though? There's it is. always something new to learn. It is. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's the I way love it. it is. All right, Michaela, thank you for that background so that everybody's aware. And, of course, we've got Meryl Johnson and, dare I say, who almost doesn't need introduction, but nonetheless. <laughs> That's um, because I've Meryl... been around so long. Oh, no, I wouldn't have put it that way, Meryl. Um, but... Tell people about your seed company that you've got going now because there may be some out there that aren't aware of it and uh, they might like to get engaged with it. So there you go. Well, look, it's been the best fun. Um, David and I took over my sister's seed company Mm -hmm. and sadly she died in 2017 very suddenly and very unexpectedly with a great deal of seed available and Mm. we thought, well, we can't waste Judy's legacy So we decided we'd take on the seed company, which we really needed like a hole in the head (laughs) since we had a a thriving (laughs) perennial nursery and a thriving overseas garden holiday travel business. But we took on the seeds out of respect and because they were so interesting. Well, then COVID came along, of course, (laughs) and all sorts of things had to change. But thank goodness for the little seeds because... As it turned out, people just absolutely 
got right into seeds. Mm-hmm. And I imagined that with COVID I'd have this quiet little retirement and go a little bit easier. No. Didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> now, a question for you, though, Meryl. Um, you took over your sister's seeds and yes. you kept going. Obviously, you're adding seed to the range all the time. All the do- time, yes. Do you do mainly your own collection or do you buy in from big wholesalers? How does that side of the business work? Work. Uh, both, actually. Yeah. Um, we gather from our own garden, which we have a very extensive mm-hmm. range of unusual perennials in the garden. So we gather from our own garden and, you know, dry and process and clean those seeds and package mm-hmm. them. We also have contributions from gardeners all over Australia who are very interested in seed too. Once you get started in it, there's seed collectors and people passionate about seed saving all over Australia. So they're very kind and we sort of run a bit of a barter system there and Mm. and that satisfies everyone. We all have a great deal of fun with that. And is your uh, emphasis on uh, ornamental plants? Yes, they're all flowering ornamental plants Mm. or ornamental foliage plants, but also a big emphasis on cut flowers because um, whereas before Australia used to import a lot of cut flowers Mm. and mainly just concentrate on our wonderful native cut flowers, but the whole cut flower industry... I think COVID's done us a lot of favours amongst some disservices, Mm. but uh, one of the great favours is so many people are now home-growing cut flowers and supplying their local area. And I think that's just great. Mm, The more things Australians do for themselves, the better. So lots and lots of cut flowers in the range too. But we also import new things from Mm. overseas And we used to do this with live plants, but of course now the quarantine regulations Mm, are getting quite difficult. Very, very difficult and, Mm. and, um, you know, uh, hard on the plants to Mm. a a great loss rate. So now we're importing seed of unusual and new varieties to Australia, and they come from absolutely all over the world, but largely from Japan, America, uh, Europe. And Britain yeah. are the main sources with really top quality seed producers. Fantastic. So, All right. Well, one thing you haven't mentioned, though, is the name of the company and how people can get in touch with you. Because oh, that's That's real. the important thing. That, that <laughs> is, of course, <laughs> amidst our enthusiasms. Um, so it's called Seedscape. And there's a website which I'm continually building because I'm continually introducing new varieties. Mm. So the website is is a great deal of fun. There's heaps of information there about the plants, but also about how to grow them from seed and then how to grow them once you've got your little baby plants. So it's www, of course, seedscape.net.au. And lovely photographs. I have to pay homage to my lovely husband, David, who does all the photography and, and the design, and he's fabulous. So oh, lots good. of nice pictures Did to I look see at. you also had an Instagram account for it also? Hmm, I don't. I haven't learned Instagram yet. You'll have to teach me. <laughs> oh, but happily, happily. And they look like such beautiful flowers and seeds. So They're very yeah. interesting, yes. Fantastic. All right, well, we better open up the, the lines for people. So if people want to talk to us on air, it's 9419-0155. And uh, 
If you want to send us a text, it's zero four triple eight zero nine eight double five. So come on board anytime. We'd love to hear from you, uh, chat to you about your garden experiences, perhaps help you out with a problem, suggestions of plants that you could put in. Uh, so there's oodles that we can help you with this morning. So do come, come online as quickly as you can. Uh, we'd love to start talking to some of our uh, listeners. And in the meantime, a couple of bits of housekeeping. Um, Thank you, everybody, who uh, sent in money or uh, promised money for our Radiothon last week. A large amount of money was raised, which is fantastic. Uh, We could still do with more, quite obviously. Uh, We didn't quite hit our target, so it would be nice to see some more money coming in. And I am sure that during business hours, uh, the people here at 3CR would be more than happy to welcome you in person. You could bring in uh, your MasterCard or Visa. Um, You could give us some money and there's still product and things that can be had. So you can come in, chat to the people on the desk, find out what's still available. Um, Obviously, all these donated products and books and other sundry things that may still be here, we'd love to see them all find a new home. Uh, So you can help us by putting some money into the kick for uh, uh, the gardening program uh, and we can help you with your gardening by pr- uh, providing you with some really good value product and other horticultural things so please come on board we'd love to hear from you um, and uh, come in and talk to the people in the office and get some bits and pieces at some stage or another and the other thing I've got uh, which is a little in advance but an upcoming event that we should all put in our calendars uh, the Cranburn Botanic Gardens are having their plant sale towards the end of this month uh, on the 23rd and 24th of July from 10am to 4pm on both days um, it's of course at the Botanic Gardens Victoria Cranburn um, corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive Cranburn and there will be a wide range of Australian plants, uh, many in tubes but up to larger pots for sale as well and of course they'll have plant material there that is very rarely if ever available through commercial nurseries so this is your opportunity to get some really interesting stuff for your garden so don't forget the Cranbourne sale so there you go um all right well whilst we're waiting for some things to come through um and uh is that something that's come through this morning I think it might be, and I'm going to have to move a bit because I can't read the monitor. Um, oh, somebody, somebody started uh, renovating their garden and they've found that they have an inordinate number of bay tree seedlings coming up at, <laughs> e- everywhere. Yes. Uh, um, and uh, they've asked whether if they mulched heavily this might, uh, in fact, stop them. I don't think anything stops a bay tree. No. no. <clears throat> you know, if, if you've got a bay tree seeding, uh, then one has to live with the consequences. And do a lot of weeding quickly before they get their deep roots yeah, down. Yeah, as soon as they start to get above a, a few inches, they're uh, they become, hard to pull out. They are really hard mm. to get out. But if you get them while they're, you know, yes. only an inch or so tall, uh, they're fairly easy to pull, but you need to do it regularly because uh, they don't even seem to just wait till the spring to germinate. They seem to come up whenever they feel like it. So, yes, yes. yes if I had bay... Bay trees in the well, I have got a bay tree in the garden at home, and I do get bay tree seedlings come up, and I do mulch really heavily. Uh, but it certainly they just stop like them. the mulch, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, the seed drops down into the mulch, and off it goes. Yep. The only advantage to heavy mulching, I have to say, though, is 
Uh, it takes them longer to get their roots anchored down into actual soil. Quicker so they're to pull out. Easier to pull out when they're small. So, yeah, so that's what I would definitely do. So there you go. And we've got somebody on the line already. Um, good morning, Anne from Ormond. How are you this morning? I'm well, thank you. Oh, I can't Stephen. hear Anne. Why can't I hear Anne? Hello, no, Stephen. there's something going on. Uh, Hello. I don't know whether I've done something here. I can't see any buttons. We'll, we will see what we can do, Anne, and we'll see if we can come back to you. Unfortunately, I'm not terribly technologically minded, so I've got no idea why we can't get your phone call through. Um, might just give it one more try just to see what happens. No, the phone doesn't seem to be... Hello, Stephen. No, I'm sorry, Anne. We may or may not end up getting our... Uh, our calls through this morning. I'm not quite sure what's going on. All right. Um, whilst we have a play with that, um, you brought in some natives. So why don't we talk about a couple of native <coughs> plants? Then we can move over to Meryl. I know she's brought some packets of seed in to talk about some of the interesting seed things, and I've brought in a few plants as well. So mm-hmm. why don't we do that? Sure thing. So uh, this is a little bit last minute for me, so I had <laughs> yeah. to be a little bit creative in uh, what plants I brought in. So I decided to turn to my own garden. Uh, which is all natives. Uh, usually I have tones of like lots of silvers, blues, things like that. And my garden's actually predominantly coastal, which is funny because I live in Brunswick. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, didn't you say Brunswick? I just like the aesthetic of coastal, uh, coastal gardens. So I've bought in a few coastal species and I've also bought in something a little bit special. So uh, the first plant I'll be discussing is uh, Plectranthus suaviolens. Mm-hmm. So... This one is actually slightly fragranced. It has a gorgeous, soft, uh, lush green leaf. It has purple flowers on it. Uh, it looks quite similar to the regular sort of plectranthus you'd see commonly planted in parks and things yeah. like that. Very tough plant. Um, can tolerate full sun to part shade, but I um, I put it in more of a shadier sort of spot. Uh, just needs a bit of moisture to establish itself, and once it's uh, gotten past that, it's actually quite uh, drought tolerant. Um, and the bees just go bananas over it. They love it. Um, and it grows about 80 centimetres to one metre. Uh, I definitely recommend pruning every now and then to reduce it. Uh, getting quite leggy and uh, scraggly, but uh, its its fragrance is really interesting. Um, it's I can't quite explain it, but it's um, you can have a smell there if you like. <laughs> it's lovely. Um, oh, so that's it's quite fresh. Yeah, it's it's really nice. Um, so the other plants I've brought are all coastal indigenous uh, to Victoria. So I've brought in my classic. It's a favourite, uh, Coria alba. Uh, grows about 1.5 to 2 metres, but you can keep it at 1 metre quite easily. Um, I personally like to let mine just grow on their own. I don't like to prune them. I quite like the habit of them being a little bit more open. Um, they'll flower throughout majority of the year, more so in autumn and winter. Um, they can tolerate uh, f- full sun, part shade, dry conditions. They're very, very, very tough. Um, so that's one of the plants I brought in. Um now I love I always love including grasses in my gardens. I think it's a great way to create movement in the garden and um, also a little bit of habitat as well. Uh, so the grass that I've brought in is Poeopoeformis, the um, coastal tussock grass. But this is actually the Kingsdale form by Osbreed. So this one actually only grows forty five centimeters by forty five centimeters compared to the 
normal poipoi formis, which would grow about a metre or so. So it's great for a smaller sort of garden, uh, gorgeous um, sort of uh, grey-green sort of tones to it. Um, that's one of my favourites. And the final one I have is probably... A lot of people don't rate it very highly, but I love it. It's uh, Atriplex cinerea, the coastal salt bush. Uh, it actually doubles as a bush food as well, the leaves uh, on yes. it. So mm-hmm. you can uh, put that, you can crisp them up. They're quite nice. Um, so that one grows about 1.5 metres. I, I keep mine at one metre. Um, flowers around autumn slash spring. Um, it can really tolerate uh, poor soils, um, can tolerate full sun. I mean, you know, I've seen it down at um, Port Ferry growing frontline coastal, getting absolutely um, pounded, by pounded <laughs> with salt-laden winds and growing in sand. It's, you know, I just think it's it's gorgeous and I feel like the leaves, they just shimmer. Um, and also I've always been quite a fan of planting Indigenous plants in my garden. So, um, yeah, those those are the plants that I brought in today. Yeah. That's all fresh from my own garden. It's um, fantastic. Yeah. Actually, the Plectranthus I'm particularly interested in. Yes. I think it's a gorgeous plant. Uh, I have to say, though, I've got a sense that there's been some serious name changing going on in that group of plants. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, there, isn't there always? Well, actually, <laughs> yes. In fact, there is because that seems to be the thing at the moment. Everybody can do chromosomes and genes and all that yeah. stuff, which we couldn't yeah. do once upon a time. And I've got a feeling some of the plectranthuses or maybe all of them have ended up in coleus. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah um, so you can see the resemblance, oh, of yeah, course. Yeah. yeah, they've always been very closely related. Yes. But, yes, yeah. the, the I guess the only good thing about it, is if they're lumping things together, there's fewer genera that we have to deal with. <laughs> That's <in the> right. <laughs> remember. Yeah, if they're splitting, well, that makes it even more yeah. difficult. Now, I think we've sorted out the issue. There were some buttons or some knobs that were turned down that I wasn't aware yeah. of. So let's try again and see if we can get through. No, oh, Anne's gone. All right. Sorry about that, Anne. Um, please call again. Yes, please call yes. again. We've got uh, it sorted. Yeah, I think we've got it sorted. And remember, the talkback line is 94190155 or you can SMS us on 04888809855. So they're the numbers. Yeah, mm. so, yes, plant naming. It's uh, its a nightmare. It's a, Always. It's a, well, it's a minefield. Um, but thank goodness we have botanical Latin name mm. naming. Mm. Otherwise, we'd be in a total mess. Yeah, well, we common would. names just go I think everywhere. You, absolutely, and I think you get used to it um, when you you're passionate about horticulture. It becomes a second language to you when you're talking about genus mm. and different botanical names, and you can look at something and be like, "Oh, yeah, I know what genus that's from." Yeah, uh, and you know, Start definitely ha- tracking it. Yeah, it's it's good fun plant yeah. ID as yes. well. You know. Yeah. Well, um, I hardly write a label anymore unless I go and check. I have to oh, say. Yeah. Uh, I've come unstuck regularly recently where I've gone, oh, yes, I'll get some labels printed of that or that or something else. So you get a batch of labels printed for that nice crop of young plants you've got and then for some reason or another, you think, oh, I should just go into the Q website and see what their current thinking is on that particular genus of plants. Mm. And, of course, it's been thrown in the air or yes. something weird has happened. It's good you keep up to date with that. I try to. Mm. Um, yes, I uh, do too, I've, absolutely. I've, I've probably put myself in the position where people see me as some sort of expert and if you don't keep up, somebody will also pick you up. Oh, yeah, you yeah know, definitely. So, <laughs> so you do have to keep up with what's going on. And I have to say there are times when I go into the Q website and look at their Plants of the World online 
again and see a plant name change and I look at it and I think, do you know what, I just, I cannot bring myself quite yet to <laughs> to engage <laughs> to with that. It. <laughs> uh, and I've already come unstuck a couple of times where the names have changed and then they've gone back again. Mm. It's quite a good thing as well, like even Banksia and Driandra, um, how that name change and shift has kind of started to happen because I'll still pick myself up on saying Banksia or Driandra still for the same things. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, You know, but it does make things a little bit easier sometimes when you lump it all together, I suppose, yeah. Yes, although you talk to a certain lady who painted all the Banksias and she'll tell you that Driandra (laughs) doesn't belong with Banksia. (laughs) Uh, All right, we're going to have another crack at bringing Anne from Ormond in. Are you there, Anne? Yes, I am. Hooray! Yes, we can hear you. Yes, I'm sorry, Anne. Great. That was that was my ineptitude. There were there were knobs here I hadn't noticed, hadn't been turned up. That's all right, Stephen. No worries. Thank you very much for taking my call. Anyway, <laughs> pleasure. Hello, everybody on the panel there too. Now, Stephen, I have a a a, a, a weeping maple emerald lace, yeah. which I'm going to have to replace because. It really grows too wide for the area, and I just can't keep it pruned. Yeah. Um, now I have, so I wanted a narrow weeping maple, oh, yeah. and I have come across two. Um, one is Ellen, yeah, and and the other one is Orangeola, which um, uh, Craig thinks might be the the better option. Mm. The the only thing is that I haven't seen Orangeola when it's in leaf, and I'm doing a bit of reading about it. I I I can help there. We've got one. Mm. It's beautiful. Mm. It is. It's a good maple. Orange only My my reluctance is that um, it it sounds like it's got a purpley reddish tint about it when it's not in in autumn leaf. Uh, It starts purple, Anne. Um, So it it comes out a purple tone. Uh, It tends to fade a bit as the summer goes on. Um, And then it goes into really attractive sort of brilliant, almost tomato-y red colours in the autumn. It's gorgeous in the autumn. If you're wanting green, though... The option, I wouldn't say was Alan. Uh, Alan's pretty, but it also has a slightly coppery tinge to the new growth. Um, the one I would be looking for uh, is one called Waterfall. Okay. Now, Waterfall has a pale green leaf from spring till autumn. Uh, it tends to go into the yellows and orange shades when it turns in the autumn, and it has a distinctly pendulous habit. Oh, okay. Um, with the Emerald Lace, it's just that I've got a... Um, a um a Cephalotaxis harringtonia mm. um, near it, and I've also got um, a Berberus little favourite, and I was just sort of wondering if it might end up being too dark. Yeah, you're probably right, unless you have a slight goth in you somewhere. Um, uh, it might be a little dark having the uh, the Berberus and Orangeola and the darkness of the Cephalotaxis because it's almost a black-green. Um, yeah. So something lighter might be better. So Waterfall would be my choice if you're looking for a narrow-growing weeping maple. Do you have a waterfall? <laughs> to be honest with you, Anne, I don't know. I'd have to go and check. It's certainly one I stock regularly, but I've had a bit of a run on my weeping maples over the last 12 months, and I haven't got okay. a huge number of them left at the moment. So I'd have to go and check and see if there's a waterfall up there. I've got the vaguest feeling there might be, but I wouldn't like to promise. All right. And is it on a fairly high standard? Because I'd need something of about oh, 1.2. Look, if I've got any, they would be at least the 1.2 height. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a call later on then. Yeah, that's probably a good idea, Anne. Give me a <laughs> ring at the nursery and we'll see if we can't sort it okay. out from then. Okay, Th- 
Thank you very much, everybody, for your help. Oh, that's Glad a you made it show. through, Anne. Bye, Anne. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, so there you go. Yes, weeping maples are becoming something of an issue because there there seems to be a new one coming out every five minutes. Yes, yes. And some of the growers are offering me weeping maples I'd never heard of before, you know, so Mm. there's new ones coming out all the time. And I have to say, some of them aren't that much different either. So (laughs) that's also an issue when you're buying plants, you know. Some varieties have a very tenuous hold on being unique. Mm. And uh, I get a little annoyed if I end up with something that looks so much like the previous one. And in fact, with upright maples, I've sort of got to the point now, instead of having 50 different varieties to choose from, I'll pick a good burgundy leafed one, a good green leafed mm, one, yes. a nice nice cut leaf one or whatever. I try and mm. get the best variety in any given group. Yeah, I actually, I used to work for Flemings, yeah. so I was quite familiar with their beautiful range of maples that they've got. Yeah. Um, and I have to say one of my favourites was, it's simple, but I really loved Emerald Lace. Yeah. Um, I just love the shape of the leaf. I love how vibrant yeah. the green is. It's, it's a beautiful just maple. Gorgeous. But yeah. for Anne, it's, it's definitely the wrong maple oh, because yeah. it's very yeah, vigorous. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And Anne's garden... Um, from what she tells me of it, is tiny. So, yeah. you know, she's... And that's and the we, issue with and weepers. And she's a real collector. She's yeah, got she, a lot in mm. there. Yeah, you've got to cram the stuff in. Mm. Um, and um, weeping plants, it makes me laugh, actually, because people will buy um, a weeping plant thinking it's small growing, but they oh, don't yeah. think about the width Absolutely. that the plant will grow to quite regularly. Yes, definitely. And that can be a major issue. So... Don't always just ask how tall something grows. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Height uh, and width. Yes, absolutely. and certainly with weepers. Mm. I mean, people won't plant a tall growing eucalypt in their garden, but they'll plant a weeping elm and you think, what's that about? <laughs> I mean, that could take over the whole garden. Yes. That's right. That's and right. so, yes, you need to think about width. Uh, you And the other things you need to think about when you're selecting a plant is height, width, speed of growth, mm. you know, And lifespan too, if you're taking that into account. Yep, yep. yep. I think that's pretty important as well Um, because some things can eventually grow really big but not Not till after you're gone. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it makes me laugh because I I stock and sell hue and pine, for instance. Uh, And, I mean, that takes a 1,000 years to be a big, big tree. Uh, And, in fact, in one or two generations you might get a really large tub specimen. Yeah, you know, and that's about that's it. Right. So the eventual height of a plant like that is completely material. Yeah, mm. you know, why would you worry? Yes. Um, mm. uh, on the other hand, if you were going to plant a blue gum, yeah, <laughs> worry. That's right. Yeah, you need to know that that's going to get to forty meters in mm. God knows how short a time. But also the longevity of things too. Mm. I mean, you know, if you're planting a screen of some sort, like you know, such as like a acacia or mm. a prostanthera, like yeah. they're incredibly vigorous growers, but 15, 20 years, you. Yeah. Need to That's, consider yeah. that might. They're just going to be blown apart by yes, the wind. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they do tend to come become thinner at the base and all that yeah. sort of yeah. thing, no matter what you do. So, yeah. um, so yes, you do have to consider the longevity of the plant or yeah. your longevity, whichever way around you <laughs> want to look at it. Um, I think that's really important. But, oh, to, right. but putting in a vote again for that orangeola because it is beautiful in its oh. colour transitions. Oh, it is. It's and a lovely maple. And the most maple. gorgeous downward weeping habit. Mm. So it's very mm. graceful. Yeah. Yeah. Plant, but I just love the color transitions from sort of that purplish blush in the mm. spring and then into green and then back into sort of deep burgundies and mm. plums and wine colors. Yeah. And then the final finale is the orange. And yeah. is it orange? Yeah, it is. Wow. It's a very, very handsome maple, I have to admit. All right. Um, well, Meryl, 
whilst we're waiting for some more calls, and don't forget to give us a ring now that I've worked out what I'm doing, um, <laughs> uh, at least at the moment I have. Uh, so don't forget to ring us. Uh, we'd love to have a chat to you on air on 94190155, or you can send us an SMS on 04880809855. Now, Meryl, you've got some pretty packets there. Yes. And I'm assuming that they're of very attractive plants that you'd like people to consider for their gardens. Absolutely. And I thought I would bring along today some that were really easy to start from seed, Mm -hmm. but very, very rewarding. And uh, if people wanted to look on the website, you'll see that I detail if they're quick and easy to do or if they're an absolute fiddle. Yeah. And we're, we're very honest about yeah. it. Well, <laughs> and look, to know. some people like to take on the challenge of something oh, that can be a bit absolutely. difficult. Absolutely. And um, people ringing me and emailing me and saying, I got my items up and they're so excited. Yeah. And I'm excited too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there are lots of things that are very quick and easy to do. So I thought I'd also concentrate on some things that it's the right time of the year to yeah. do the seed now. And uh, so things like really old-fashioned things like hollyhocks, but we've got some beautiful new hollyhocks that have come in from Holland, and they are the most divine contemporary colours. So Mm. something that's very old is actually back in style again, and I think hollyhocks are one of those. So the one I chose to, to bring today is one called... Chaita's chamois or chamois, if you want to give it the, <laughs> the yes. French. Sounds, sounds a bit posher that way. A bit posher, chamois yes. <laughs> or chamois if you're yes. an Australian. But it's the most beautiful sort of peachy apricot colour, which would go so well with the sort of subtle olive greys and greens of your mm. native I'll have plants. to look into it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the varieties that I've chosen to bring today, A, it's the right time of the year to plant the seeds, and B, they're excellent cut flowers as well as being very quick and easy to grow from seed. So don't neglect the old hollyhock and mm. have a look at all the beautiful new colours that are being developed. Now, I, I don't like to put a, 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 a spanner in anybody's works, but how are they with, with rust? Yeah, they've worked very hard on yeah, that. Yeah, because that's something with the older the hollyhocks old ones. ones. It drove yes. me nuts. I tried to grow... Likewise. I, I think it was some of the blacky coloured ones in the yes. garden at home. I got them going, they started to look really good, and then suddenly they basically collapsed from rust. Yeah. They, they were just well, decimated. I, I banished hollyhocks from mm. our garden for many years for that reason because mm. I, I didn't want to, them to be, you know, the harbingers of rust and yeah. introduce the rust to the garden. But good old Dutch cut flower breeders, I've really worked hard on that. So they have, you know, given them a great deal more disease Fantastic. resistance. But uh, another really old-fashioned family that people just adore, particularly in sort of mid-spring to early summer, are the good old-fashioned granny's bonnets or columbines, the aquilegias. And again, something so easy to grow from seed. Almost embarrassingly. Almost embarrassingly. (laughs) (laughs) And once you've got... Um, some established in your garden, they'll quite happily give you their own babies. They'll Mm. generate their own next generation very readily. And the lovely thing is they crossbreed. Yeah, you like can, you're, never quite, yeah, you're never quite sure what colour you're going to no, end up with you, once you've got more than one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You can get all sorts of adventures in the colours and forms of uh, aquilegias, but I'm delighted to say that uh, the ones that we're offering at the moment are hand-pollinated mm. in, in closed conditions. So the bees can't have their wicked and wayward ways with them, and so they will come true 
to to the form yeah. via the seed. And I brought in one that I'm particularly fond of at the moment. It's called Cristobalo. And it's it's from a whole family of Barlow columbines, Granny's Bonus, Aquilegias, um, raised initially by the Barlow family, who, uh, you know, rather modestly named them all after themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, there was a lot of people in the family because yeah. they've raised a lot of absolutely wonderful flower forms. They're largely double, sort of clematis style, double clematis style. Are they long-spurred or spurless? Spurless. Yeah. No, they're yeah. like absolute puffballs, mm. very, very double. And all sorts of really exotic colours. And again, these were largely bred for the cut flower industry. Mm. People don't really realise that aquilegias are very long-lasting in a vase. And these double ones hold particularly well. But Cristobalo, I think, Mm. is the best they did. Ah. And it's a beautiful, deep violet blue. And every petal, and remember, these are double puffballs full of, of petals. Every petal is rimmed in a sort of frosty white and then a a creamy sort of flowery, mealy coloured centre to it as well as golden stamens. So the the whole colour effect is absolutely shimmering. You were saying before Mm. about the texture with the grey backs to some of the leaves of of the plants you've brought in are are just Mm. uh, shimmer as the the wind moves them. Well, the Cristobalo flowers shimmer. Yeah. The whole time. That I think flowering. the bees would really love that one too, and that's also what I try to plant in my garden is mainly bee attracting flowers. Too. And I'm just looking I'm just looking over at your seed packets and I'm like, Oh yeah, they'd have a good time with that. <laughs> oh absolutely. Well that's something we really concentrate on yeah, because I'm passionate about food for bees. So. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah, we well, always... Let's just hope they get on top of the varroa. Oh, it's just such a worry, isn't it? Oh, that's awful. Absolutely awful that it's it's actually found its way in here. Yeah, I mean we've, we've, we've been so wondering long. whether it was going to happen at some point or another and I guess with a lot of these bugs and pests and things it's not a matter of if it's more a matter of when yes. and it looks like we've got a, an infestation up around Newcastle yes. and they're destroying beehives as we speak which oh. is really sad. The, uh, the only thing we can cling on to is that they have planned for it for yeah. a long time. Yes, so hopefully they will mm, get on top of it because right on it. there have been instances of insect pests getting into the country where they paid lip service to dealing with it and then just didn't really Gave get up. on top of it. It yeah. was like the uh, elm leaf beetle, for instance. Yes. Mm. When it first got in here, it was restricted down to the Mornington Peninsula and they said, you know, they said silly things like make sure you don't transport soil backwards or forwards from the Mornington Peninsula. And you're thinking your car could pick up a bug. Of course. And you could drive through with it, and that's probably how they, in fact, got away from the Mornington Peninsula. They didn't stomp on it at the time. Yes. And now, of course, um, elm leaf beetle's endemic. It's everywhere. Yes, Um, exactly. So, yes, so hopefully they will get on top of the varroa mite um, Mm. because it's – Oh, devastating to anybody in the in the bee industry, and I feel for those mm. poor people up around Newcastle that have had to destroy their livelihoods, basically. Well, I mean, the repercussions are, are widespread because if they can't get the bees on the move shortly, we ain't going to have any almonds and yeah. pistachios right. this year <laughs> yeah. because there'll be nothing around to pollinate them. Yes, it's mm. frightening. Um, but anyhow, hopefully they are doing the right job up there. Yes, indeed. Uh, all right, so we talked about those. Yes, we yes. might move on to one of mine and then we can come we back can to come talk. We can come back to yeah. all the various plants. Yeah. What a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I love to annoy people uh, on this program on a regular basis, so I bring in an ornament. <laughs> 
into Loxalis every so often because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I know it's going to frighten. Uh, yeah, it's a, a frightening certain, me. Yeah, it frightens a number of our, uh, Very our listeners. Pretty though, uh, so beautiful. This one is one I've only had in my collection for a couple of years, and it does seem to have a zest for life. If you folk can look, it's trying to come out oh, the bottom of the pot. Yes, yeah. So some little leaves coming out the drainage hole in this three-inch tube. Um, it's an oxalis called Nigelans, and the double form is reasonably appropriately called pom-pom. And <laughs> yeah. it's a very clear, rich mauve uh, with a full double flower. Oh, I might add two pictures of these, if they're not already up, will be up on our um, social media feed, Liz's uh uh, very good at doing things like that. And I sent her images of all four of the things I bought in yesterday. So she's mm. hopefully put them up. So you'll be able to go into the social media feeds and find the images of the plants I'm talking mm. about. Although I remember the photo of this I took yesterday. It was raining and the poor little thing was all closed up pretty well. <laughs> uh, sitting overnight in the van, it's opened up nicely. Now, oxalis are an interesting group of plants because we do have weedy species, but it's a huge genus. They're not all weeds. You know, and there's plenty of them that are ornamental. And even some of those that have a zest for life, and I have a sense that Nidulans is going to be one of those, and I have it in both its single and its double form. Funnily enough, the single form flowers much earlier uh, and finishes before the double form gets really underway, which is weird, but anyhow, that's what it is. Um, but even those that have a zest for life, like this one, they are so short, they only you know grow mm. a few centimetres tall. So even if you ended up with a mat of it in the garden somewhere, it's only winter growing. They disappear in the summer. Uh, they're not tall enough to swamp anything. They tend not to grow back into dark shade, so they'll stay around the edges of borders and what have you. Mm. And they're just such useful winter flowers. Mm. I mean, even the weediest of oxalises, you have to admit, look pretty stunning when they're in full bloom. Mm. Uh, and and in... it is okay to keep them in, say, a, a nice broad terracotta yeah. bowl sitting yeah, on the tile yeah. so they can't get out. Yeah, and, and that's <laughs> and the other thing. If you, yes, if you're nervous about putting them into the ground. I mean, I have a rock garden at home that I call my oxalarium. Uh, <laughs> and I've got a whole range of different oxalis species growing in there. And it's got a, a, a thick shrub border behind it. The oxaluses always stay to the front so they, they don't move back into the border. It's got a path in front of it, a gravel path that we walk up and down all the time. So if anything has the audacity to come out too far, it gets walked over. Um, and the oxalarium's been there for... 10 years, I suppose. Well, look, if Prince Charles can have a stumpery with yeah. his collection of stumps, yeah, well, you yeah. can have an oxalarium. I don't see why not. No. Um, but, yeah, so I think this one's very cute. Um, and it's funny because I have a love-hate relationship with double flowers as a rule. Uh, some double flowers I really love. Other double flowers I can take or leave. And others I actually think are abhorrent things and should <laughs> never have been bred. Um, so uh, I, I'm nothing if not inconsistent. Um, but I think the flowers of this little fellow are rather cute and so I'm quite happy to have some double forms of oxalis. And of course the double forms are sterile so they can't self-seed so they can only procreate by bulb division. Um, so they should be comparatively safe in the garden. And do remember we even have native oxalis. Yes, we do. We do. Yes. We do. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, so we have some native species as well. In fact, I believe one of them is from Mount Kosciuszko and on the endangered species list. So, you know. <laughs> uh, That's one for all oxalis, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and I have to say I have the South American ones, particularly those that come from the Andes, the high alpine ones, are virtually impossible to keep. 
So there are some mm. that are a serious challenge to grow, which does prove that there's diversity within the genus. So exactly. they're, they're not all going to be a problem. So there you go, Oxalis nidulans. Pom-pom. And I think it's rather cute. Uh, I think it's very And pretty. it would fill a nice shallow terracotta pot or something rather beautifully. Yes. And unlike most bulbous plants, it flowers for months. So you yes. get value out of it over a really mm. seriously long period. And, and the foliage, because it carpets up so thickly, yeah. it, it makes a great texture. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think so. texture is so important yeah. in oh, the garden. I couldn't agree yeah. more. And, yeah. You know, I'm looking at your little bunch of, of native foliage and... Mm. It's beautiful colours and textures. Textural well, that's what my garden mainly is, is too. So important. Yeah, yeah my I garden is we, overlooked. Yeah, I think as we get older and older, I think sometimes we do become more refined in our tastes and we do tend to look at things in a much more um, detailed, detailed way. way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Initially, you get very carried away with bright, splashy flowers, which are all very nice. Yes. But um, uh, some of us become so subtle that some of our flowers hardly even seem to have any well, presence anymore. Well, uh, <laughs> I've got quite a collection of spiridiums in my garden. Yeah. Um, and I quite, yeah, as I said before, I quite like muted silvers and yeah. greys yeah. and greens and things, hence why I like the coastal sort of aesthetic. But, you know, I think in any garden, texture is so important and it really showcases those um, items of interest as well. Um, now, I'm looking at this yellow flower in the studio. <laughs> Can you please tell me about that? Oh. All right, or yes, we'll, we'll talk it's about beautiful. that one. Remember, folks, we'd love to hear you ring in, and I can now bring up the call. So please ring us on uh, 94190155. When I first saw it, I th- it reminds me of Herbertia scandens, the it's, snake find. When I first saw it, I'm like, oh, that's very strange looking. Yeah, it, it does have that Herbertia look about it, yeah. but it's a completely different plant family, so it's not in the same family. And it's one of the hypericums. And, of course, hypericums also, in some people's minds, have a, um, a bad side because there are some weedy species in this genus as well and uh, you certainly wouldn't be planting um, uh, Hypericum perfoliatum for instance sake because that's become a major weed in agriculture Uh, but this one's a hybrid Hypericum that was produced in a garden in Ireland or came up as a freak seedling in a garden in Ireland uh, called Rowallan and this particular one funnily enough is Hypericum Rowallan and it's a great shrub it grows to about three meters yep comparatively narrow it doesn't grow very wide so it'd be ideal between two windows or Mm. a narrow bed against a fence something like that where you want some height but you don't want something that comes out too far but a graceful habit it has got a lovely sort of open airy archy habit which is the way nursery people describe it some might say it's open and sparse Um, i don't mind sparse i like sparse yeah i like it and you get layers yeah yeah i think it's really important yeah Mm. and in fact there's a garden in france called le vastaval Yes. Uh, belonged to uh, Princess Sturza, who was quite a powerful woman, albeit uh, about four foot five tall. Um, and but she, very mean with a fern hook, I can oh, tell yeah, you. Oh, yeah, she could swipe <laughs> She'd you. She snap you on the, the yeah, toes if you But anyhow, she's no longer with us, but her garden still is, and she does thinning. Yes. So all of her trees are opened and aired mm. out. So she brings her her crew in, and they, or did, and still, and the garden, or garden staff still do. And so her trees are thinned out so that you get that distant view. Mm. I always described it as veils of texture. It's fabulous. So, yeah, open-growing plants can be really useful. So Mm. this hypericum will often start flowering around about Christmas or a little earlier some years, and it's often still in flower in early winter. Um, As we see. As you see. I've got one in flower here, and you can see where there were flowers on it earlier in the season. Mm. Uh, The flowers are... 
well, certainly uh, quite a bit bigger than the average 50 cent coin, uh, and it's a really strong, bright yellow. It's an mm, unashamed it's yellow. Yes. Um, and I love yellow in the garden. I think it's a mm. wonderful colour. Um, you do have the yellow people and you do have the those who hate yellow people. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I always say to those who don't like yellow, how do you cope without wattle and daffodils? Agreed. And <laughs> I mean, what it, about sunshine? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, things like chrysocephalum, everlastings, yeah. and lots of uh, zero chrysums as well, um, paper daisies, bright yellow. So I know I've said my tones are muted in the garden, but I do love a really nice bright cheery yellow yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. That's why I was attracted to winter. this one. Yeah, oh, oh, winter, great. yeah. Yes. Definitely. Anything that flowers in the winter that's yellow I think is Absolutely uh, yes, precious. I yes. think one of my favourite plants in the garden at the moment is the Mexican tree marigold, the Tajitis lemonii. Yes. It's mm. a massive yellow daisies at the moment and it's just on the edge of a path. So every time I brush past it, you get the aroma from its foliage mm. and it's – I was going to say it's delicious. It almost is a delicious it is fragrance. It's a delicious for, fragrance. Yeah, because yes, it's got this fresh. really fresh fruitiness yes, to it. Yes. Um, and I think it's a wonderful winter flowering plant. Now, Stephen, you've got an open day at your garden coming up, I believe. Uh, yes, that's actually something we should give people forewarning yes. of because we've only just set the dates in the last couple of weeks. My garden's going to be open for the first spring opening for Open Gardens Victoria, and it'll be on the uh, last weekend in August. So it'll be the Saturday, Sunday, the last weekend in August, 10 to 4.30. You can book on try booking, I believe, but we're we're now at a point where we can just have walk-ins now again. Oh, that's good. So people can just arrive. Mm, Uh, We will have an FPOS machine uh, at the front gate so people don't have to have cash with them. Mm. Uh, We can take their money in any way, shape or form. (laughs) Um, And it should be fun. Uh, I mean, it's a very early opening for a spring garden, so there, uh, you know, a lot of the high spring things won't be in flower. Uh, but the garden even now is looking quite nice. The hellebores are just starting to come out. Yes. Uh, my winter sweet's in full bloom. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff doing its thing. A lot of those will be getting towards the end by the um, last weekend in August, but uh, there'll be lots Other of things. spring things coming but out. Actually, I quite like seeing gardens when not they're not in too much flower yeah. because mm. you can see the structure and the texture and the, yeah. the lines of the plants yeah. and the habits of the plants. And I think that's really important. I, in I fact, do we've too. done midwinter openings before, yeah. uh, much when to the surprise of every, everybody. But, you know, I've got enough evergreen in the garden to hold the garden together. I've got enough things that flower year-round so that there's something of interest for people to look at. Mm. Um, but you can actually see the structure of the garden more when, when yes. some of the trees are bare and, and the yeah. perennial are often down and uh, other things leap into the fall, which I think is which good. Which yeah, mm. usually overshadowed by lots of yeah. colour. Mm. In right. fact, the other morning it was very misty and the mist was coming through our garden. We've got lots of deciduous mm. trees and the form, the shaping mm. was yeah, just... Yeah, mist in deciduous trees is oh, just... Oh, fabulous. Up. All right, we better get on to a call because we've got somebody oh, who's goody. come through. Yep. Um, Chris from Yarrambat, how are you this morning? Good uh, Good team. Good morning. How are you, team? We're good. good. Thanks. Good. Um, some time back, I purchased a uh, dwarf fruiting pear mm-hmm. in a ten-inch pot. I didn't put it in the ground, and I'm wondering whether I should put it in the ground now. Now would be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, any deciduous yeah. tree, uh, almost without exception, is generally best planted in the winter months when it's dormant. So yeah. uh, now would be the perfect time to put it in. And I have to say, a lot of these dwarf fruit trees can make reasonable tub specimens uh, for the long term, but they'll always be more vigorous, more fruitful, uh, and therefore, in a sense, more useful if they're out in the open ground. 
And also, if you plant it now and it's been in a tub, you've got the opportunity while it's dormant to do a little bit of root pruning to shape up the roots and, you know, encourage them to shoot out in the directions that you want them to, as well as being able to prune the top. So I think it's a perfect mm. week to do it. Yep. So I would get your pear out into the ground when you feel like it. <laughs> Thanks very much. That's a pleasure. Okay. Bye. Bye. Oh, that was great to have some callers come yeah, so, in. Come yeah, on, so call come in. on, yeah. call in. Don't forget too that we're still looking for people to donate for our radiothon, uh, and I will immediately make an apology to AB on air. I couldn't find the <laughs> in our uh, in our little pigeonhole out there. There was meant to be some of the people who'd given us uh, pledges uh, that I was going to read out this morning, and I can't find them. I don't know where they've gone. But Next then I, I had a boy look. Who knows? <laughs> um, so. Um, uh, Maybe next week we can read out the final ones that didn't get read out on air. So please don't forget to come in, have a look at the product that's still there. I'm sure the staff in the studio here don't want to be inundated with potting mix and fertilisers and God knows what else forever. <laughs> so it would be really nice if people came in and took away a lot of that product and added to our tally so that we could get up closer to the uh, to the amount we were hoping to get from our Radiothon this year. Uh, and also, I've had a message come in to remind me to re-mention the Cranbourne Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens Winter Plant Sale uh, of Australian Native Plants on the 23rd and 24th of July. So put it in your diary. Uh, it's from 10 till 4, both days. And, it's, of course, it's at the Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne, so you can go along and buy some plants and you can have a wander around the garden because mm. uh, it is definitely one of the showcase gardens of the country. It's, it's just stunning. amazing. It is yeah. stunning. And it only gets better as the mm, years go yes. by. Mm. So um, if you haven't been out to Cranbourne Botanic Gardens for a while or haven't visited it ever, shame on you, um, then <laughs> this is an opportunity to go and see the gardens and also make a purchase of some really interesting native plants for your own garden. So get along. Um, mm. Stephen, it's really the depths of winter at the moment. And people sort of think, oh, maybe it's a quiet time in the garden. No. No, that's no. rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really busy time in the garden. Definitely. So maybe it's a good chance to talk with people about what are the jobs of winter. Mm. Well, at the moment, what we're doing is pruning roses, of course. Yeah. Although it's been a little bit tricky to decide. The little devils have still wanted to shoot despite mm. this cold uh, winter dear. that we're having. But anyway, rose pruning is in full bore. It's seed planting time, of course, for mm. and especially for those varieties that like some winter chilling to mm. break the dormancy of the seeds. Um, and we've got lots of cutting back to do. There's the eternal raking up of leaves yes. and turning mm. them into compost. But and I have to say there's certainly the winter growing weed season is well underway. Oh, I've noticed, yes. no, noticed lots of, uh, well, most people call it sticky willy, but cleavers and things yes. like that are coming up in the garden at home. Yes. And if I don't get on top of that before it starts to set seeds, mm. I know I'll regret it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, and, I mean, so, it's a difficult time. to. You can't even spray as well because, mm. I mean, it's been so wet too. Yeah. So, you yes. know, you have to really start hand weeding. But mm. I was going to say before in terms of the – like because I used to be a gardener landscaper, so pruning – uh, that's what I would pretty much do all winter long. Mm. Yes. Um, and to be trees. honest, I really enjoyed it. Oh, I, re I have to creative. say, I've always really enjoyed pruning. I like ornamental trees. When you and get to the end roses. of the day and you look up, 
You oh, see I love something it. for what you've done. But I just love creating the form in it and then I yes. love seeing the effects of it the mm. year after, like, you know, especially things like crepe myrtles and roses and things, like really pruning them back so hard. And, you know, we'd always have to reassure the, the client, oh, like, yes. you had now, don't panic. <laughs> it's had a really big haircut. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, it. It, like this is the time where you really put in the work to see those um, results in spring and in summer. And, and something like a crepe myrtle where the bark is oh, really the one of the gorgeous. best yeah. bits of the yeah. whole plant. So it is important to get that pruning and, as Stephen was saying, thinning out and yeah, absolutely. turning yeah. it into shapes that you can see through mm. so you can really mm. appreciate that And I think an important thing colour. as well, oh, for sure, um, I think an important thing as well is making sure those branches aren't crossing over yes. and rubbing against the bark as well, causing yes. disease and things like that. So I think it's just so satisfying doing a nice bit, as you said, nice big clean out yeah. um, mm. of the guts of the tree. Yep. So, yeah, it's and always a great, great. time to really... Yeah, so pruning, pruning everybody. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, mm. yes, I know I've got a fair bit to do yet. I've got a couple of plants in the garden at home too that I coppice. Um, ah, yes. Which yes. is a technique that not many Love people... Love coppicing. Yeah, well, not many people do it though and it seems Scary. such a... Well, it can be until you get used to the processes, but mm. there's certain plants that I wouldn't have in my garden unless I could coppice them because mm. they'd either get too big and rangy or their foliage or flowers would be way up there instead of at eye level where I can enjoy them. Um, and so the two main ones I've got in the garden at home that I coppice regularly, uh, one is my um, coral tree, my erythrina. Um, so I bring that down to a stump about a metre off the ground every year and then it sends out its big, long, slightly yep. spiky, Beautiful. nasty canes but with those wonderful red flowers on it. Uh, and the other one is a golden-leafed Indian bean tree, the catalpa. Mm. Oh, and yes. I coppiced that down. I saw Christopher Lloyd did that in his garden, and I thought, what a good idea. So I stole it. Um, <laughs> and so I've got a, a, a golden Indian bean tree that I cut down. So I don't get any flowers, but I have these big yellow leaves in the summer that are at eye level. And mm. some of the hazelnuts that have beautiful decorative foliage are mm. excellent coppice too. Yeah. They make a great yeah, colour so and texture. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's basically – Seriously heavy pruning back to more or less the same point every year. So uh, you often do it with um, coloured stem things like dogwoods and willows. Yeah. They're, they're often mm. coppiced back and then you get these lovely canes that come up. And, mm. and the fresh ones are better coloured. So of course they are. It's a good In job In fact, to do. this week's YouTube channel video on the horticulturalists is about winter coloured stems. So if people mm. want to, we, we talked about a couple of corner species, we talked about a couple of willow species that can be coppiced, and we talked about a couple of, dare I say, blackberry species, rubuses that are grown oh, for their coloured There's some nice stems. blackberries. <laughs> yes, there are some nice ones. And so, yes, yeah, so this week is all about that. So, um, uh, And I think we've got some calls up there, which is lovely. Yes. Thank you for calling in. Mm. All right. Um, all right, well, let's get the next call up. Uh Line eight, and we have Vic. Are you there, Vic, in Maribyrnong? Vic? Something's going wrong. We'll try again. Steve, can you hear me? Yes, Yes, I can hear you now. I don't know what I did, Vic. What I want to say is, in the last couple of... A minute or two there, your volume just dropped. Uh, goodness knows. Well, I haven't touched any buttons, I promise, Vic. No, well, maybe you moved the microphone away from yourself too uh, far. Well, yeah, that can happen <laughs> here because I can't, read the, I can't read the screen unless I go uh, over closer to it. I'm just telling you. Yeah. Thank right. you. Okay. Now, Stu, a couple of interesting things. First, I made a donation of 50 bucks to uh, <clears throat> the gardening program Thank there. you, Vic. Thank you. 
Okay, now the next thing, uh, Steve, very interesting way my almond tree's broken. Um, I've got two almond trees, one's taller than the other one. Yeah. And I find it strange that this, this, it was the smaller one that's broken. And the way that the branch is broken is it's not a clean break. It's a long, stringy fingers being yeah. pulled out. Yeah. Now, does that mean that someone's actually broken that tree, thrown a rope over the limb and just pulled and tugged until they've actually broken that branch? When did it break, Vic? Oh, look, it was during the, <clears throat> during the summer, getting close to the end of the yeah, I don't Probably. think I don't think somebody's done this to you on purpose. I think the tree has done it on its own. Uh, yeah, but what I'm trying to figure out is why didn't a taller tree do it? Because it was, it, it was it's, a very windy day. Yeah, it's got more to do with the weight of the uh, the foliage and potentially if there were any almonds on it, but the weight of the foliage with the width of the branch and how strong a V crotch you had in the branches is more what it's about. Um, so. A lot it of trees when they... It didn't break in a V. It didn't break in a V. Just along the branch. So it snapped yeah, along the branch. Along the... Yeah, well, yeah. it obviously had a weak point somewhere and there was just too much weight on the top. Have you cleaned up the cut since? No, I haven't. Well, I would. It's very, it's very high up in the tree. Yeah. Ah. Well, mm. I would prune down well below the cut if that's possible um, and get rid of that uh, piece because... If you've got a ragged, uh, ripped piece mm-hmm. on, a, on a stem, then you're opening it up for potential disease and pest problems. Uh, so you need to get uh, out there with a long-handled uh, pruning saw or something like that uh, and cut back further down from where the cut or where the break was. But it will just be a matter of gravity taking charge of a limb that wasn't strong enough to hold the weight of foliage and things that were there. And many trees don't break and snap Neatly, they break yeah, and they, they peel as they come down. Yeah, so mm-hmm. sort you, of like a what they call a yeah, green tree fracture. I understand what you're saying there, but this, this, with all these millions of fingers, you know what I mean? For want of a better word. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, just the way the wood on the almond tree obviously cracks. So yes, you've just got to go back beyond it, Vic, and get rid of the, the all of the uh, broken, damaged wood. What's the current so, thinking, Stephen, on painting that cut? Now, the current thinking, as far as I understand, is that you don't. Don't. That's yeah. right. That's uh, my understanding. Because too. the uh, tree painting materials that they used to use actually discourages the growth of cambium yes, layer. Yes, that's right. So a good clean cut's important because that will help reduce any and, issues. And clean the cutting tool before you do it. Mm. So just rub it over with some meths or... Yeah. And uh, cutting it on an angle too. Yes, not make flat. sure it's not on a flat cut because you don't want water sitting on the top of the cut. And then bacteria. Yeah. 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 And so that's the basics that you'll need to do, Vic. And, yeah, I just say that it was just too heavy for the actual um, strength of the branch. Or it was just a twisty piece of wind, which happens at our place a lot. Yeah, Yeah. and surprising what will lose limbs. I I, I actually differ on that one because, Mm. first, all all, all your uh, cockies come along and take every single nut we've got before you even get (coughs) – even. I don't know why they do this. They actually come along before um, blossoms even happen now. Yeah, yeah, they do that to us too, Vic. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, cockatoos are 
basically avian vandals and they just <laughs> love ripping things to bits just for the sake of ripping things to bits. So, no, well, why I'm saying that is that there's no weight of any nuts in the tree. Yeah, no, but yes, look, it still doesn't mean that the foliage couldn't have got too heavy as well. Just um, in a freak, you know, twisty and with bit a, of wind. Yeah, and with a strong gale of wind, it just was just too much for that limb. So, well, I don't know because they also wrecked a fence as well. Yeah, but yeah, I don't think it's the cockies that have done it, though. I have to say, I think it's just the weight. Mind no, you, no, 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 the cockies. <laughs> I, I love I it. I reckon it's the neighbours next door, not the cockies. Yeah, well, <laughs> look, you may or may not have an, a neighbourly issue, Vic, but you know, generally speaking, this sort of damage is just what happens. I mean, I've had big limbs come out of some of my fruit trees at different times, and uh, it's certainly not neighbours. It's just the weight of the branches, and I wasn't well, it's just uh, aware. Strange a break, yeah. something that you never see. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I think I have seen it in quite a lot of cases, and almonds may well be one of those trees that do it regularly that yeah. way. Uh, well, that's interesting. All right. Well, Vic, we better I'm, go, Vic. But... I'm thinking right, of that's you. All right. Yeah. Thanks, thanks very much. That's right. a pleasure. We'll catch Bye-bye. up. Right. Uh, dear, now we've got uh, online nine. We've got Margot. Margot in Kyneton, are you there? Yes, I am. Ah, yes, good morning, Margot. Margo. Good morning, team. Lovely to hear your voices. Hello. Hello. Oh, Margot, you're back again. <laughs> yes, and lovely to see and hear Michaela, some young people on the show. <laughs> well, we've got to train um, them up to take over from us old farts, you know, at some point. I'm young at heart, Margot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, of course. I didn't mean it that way, but anyway, no, fantastic. Um, now, first of all, last week I promised one of our uh, lovely sponsors, People that donated yeah. a cactus sculpture, and I drove back to Kyneton with it. So just to let them know if they're listening, but I am going to post it out this week. All right, I good. didn't have time last week because we're having a big sale. It's been a crazy week. Um, but my question for you today is just a simple one. I've got a fantastic French uh, hawthorn tree, La Valliai, Yeah, and it's been much admired by visitors. And everyone wants me to do cuttings for them. And I say, no, go and see Stephen. Or yeah, they can come and buy you. one. What miserable friends you've got. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How dare they? I know. But it will take years for them to grow into some of, you know. Well, that's the issue. They're, they're not that easy to strike from cuttings. Commercially, most of the hawthorns are budded or grafted. Yes. Uh, onto an understock, uh, which gives them a good start. Uh, I've never bothered growing any of the ornamental hawthorns from cuttings. Uh, and, of course, Lavallei is a hybrid, so there's no guarantee that it would come true to seed either. So there's probably no point in collecting and growing seed. No. Um, so... I just tell them to come and see me and buy one. I've got oodles of stock at the moment. So. All right. Well, and and they're already going to get something that's, you know, sort of a metre and a half, two metres tall. I mean, why yeah, would you want to start off with cuttings, even if they were easy to strike? Uh, yeah. For a few dollars, you can buy a tree and it's budded onto a strong understock. So it'll probably do better than a cutting grown plant, even if you strike one. Well, that is good to know. That is job done. That will be my absolute <laughs> Well done, Margot. Thank you, and keep going, panel. All right, thanks, thanks a lot, Margaret. Bye. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye. No, I was just thinking, Stephen, when Vic was speaking about his 
pestilence with cockatoos, we have a pestilence of king parrots, which is a pestilence that I just love. Oh, I was going to say, I'm like, that's never... We adore them. We probably have at times about 40 king parrots really? in our garden. What are they most attracted to in the garden? My magnolia buds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's actually not the flowers they're eating. They will pick off the buds of the magnolias yeah. just to eat the little green joining bit. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Um, so, yes. It's, what it's, connoisseurs they are. I know. Acquired <laughs> <laughs> taste. Yeah. <laughs> but what is interesting, they don't eat the stellatas. They only eat the Solangianas. Now, tell me about that. <laughs> That's so interesting. Isn't mm. it? Yes, they've developed a taste. I don't know. I'd like to know if all king parrots have developed this taste or if it's just mine in particular. Yeah, but well, I, I haven't got them. a decent-sized magnolia in the garden to check because I do get the king parrots. Uh, although, funnily enough, only in the last few years. They weren't part of our normal no, avian fauna. Look, the birds fauna. have moved around so much, yeah. Stephen, like mm. black cockatoos, yellow-tailed black cockatoos are native to our area and we've had always had them in mm. great abundance, mm. um, fortunately. But in the drought, you know, a couple of decades back, white cockatoos arrived mm. from north and, boy, have they stayed and they're really beginning to take over, which is a bit scary because mm. they're very aggressive birds. Well, they are, mm. and very clever. Yes. Oh, they're mm. all smart. I always <laughs> find it interesting, um, especially when I worked at Karanga, we had amazing bird life there, and yes. I love the black yellow-tailed cockatoos. It reminds me a lot of um, my family have a place down at Phillip Island, which is mm. why I'm a little bit attracted to coastal <laughs> plants, obviously, a bit yeah. biased. But just the sound of the black yellow-tailed yes. cockatoos, you can tell in the pitch of it, it just sounds so nice to listen to. Yes. And They're then you hear the white, like... then you hear the um, white cockatoos, and it's, it's just so like harsh. Yeah, oh, yeah. so I, mean, harsh. I love white cockatoos, but they really yeah. shouldn't be in our area. And yeah. they are, well, they've always been part of our avian fauna, so I guess I've got to accept that fact. Uh, and we also get the yellowtail blacks, which is fantastic. Mm. And it's really interesting to note that the yellowtail blacks they strip all of the seed pods off. A friend's hakeas down the road. Yes. Uh, they've got a whole row of hakea saligna, and they they rip the bits, yep. rip, rip it to bits. Mm. But the people on the other side of the road have got a row of radiata pines, and I think they love them even more. They do. They love get the pines. stuck into the pine cones. Oh and yes, yeah. there, w- there wouldn't underneath. be a seed left no. in those pine cones. <laughs> they get every single mm. one of them, uh, which is good, I guess, in a sense, because it means that radiata pines They're might not. be less of a of a weedy issue if exactly. the cockatoos are eating the seeds. But yeah. who would want to plant pine nuts at the moment? <laughs> no, no. Not a commercial crop. <laughs> no, no, can't see that working. Now we have a question that came in, and I'll read read this out, and then we'll we'll uh, deal with it. Um, uh, we had a donation made of two hundred dollars last week by the Concrete Gang towards our. Program. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Thanks, guys. And Gorilla from the Concrete Gang would like advice on growing bananas in Melbourne. Um, well, it's possible. Well, you can do it. Can, can I tell it? you, I actually worked in a garden in Turak a few years ago, and uh, the client they had a banana tree growing yeah. by the by the pool. It was gorgeous, and it produced like too high up for me to reach. Yeah. but it's even just a nice sort of ornamental um, sort mm. of thing to have yeah. in the garden yeah. too. So, but in terms of growing the fruit, I'm not too sure about people that. Have. Maybe you guys can answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know possible. of people that have me grown too. bananas in Melbourne. Now, there are a few cultivars starting to get around through the trade that are purportedly more cold-hardy. Mm. Uh, and there's one I saw that was just stunning. It had this most beautiful burgundy staining 
through the leaves. It was just lovely. I can't remember what it was called, but it was on the label that said something like cool bananas <laughs> um, with a monkey on it and a banana in its hand. Um, but a warm, sunny wall, perhaps or a nice corner, brick wall or something like that. Well-drained. Um uh, humus-rich soil, so build your soil up with plenty of organic material. Um, uh, and if you are in suburban Melbourne where you rarely get frosts now, you'll certainly grow the bananas. Um, it will take some time for them to get to the size where they will fruit. And, of course, bananas are one of those things that when they do fruit, that particular stem is going to die. So after the fruit's finished, the the big one that had the fruit on it is going to die. And as long as it's one of the varieties that produces pups from around the bottom, you just take the main stem out afterwards when it's starting to look frowsy uh, and start off again. Mm. So it can be done. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, yeah, the, the hotter the right and warmer spot. spot, the better. The more bricks mm. and concrete that's around, the better as far yeah, as a yeah. banana's yeah. concerned It seems Melbourne. to be the way it works. It well, that kind of makes sense, I suppose, because it was uh, mainly concrete around there, fake turf as well, and a pool. it was like the bed was l- quite literally around the pool and that was yeah. concrete too. Uh, and, and it was the full water sun. Would have been a, yeah, a heat bank. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, but yeah. it was like there's also. Um, you just made me wince then when you said mock turf. But anyway, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have the same feelings. Yeah. Yes, that's all going to be in landfill one day. That's right. Oh dear. Uh, now I've been reminded that we should introduce each other to our listeners again because, uh, well. We've been going on for quite some time and people may have joined us later than when we first started. Mm-hmm. So, Michaela, will you please remind everybody where you've yes, come out? sure, sure, no worries. So, uh, I'm Michaela Hamilton. I'm with uh, Philip Withers Landscape Architecture and I'm a horticulture consultant. Um, if you want, you can also follow me on Instagram. It's Regal Regnans. <laughs> Regal um, Regnans. I have a particular <laughs> love for um, eucalyptus regnans yeah. because oh. I'm from the Mount Dandenong <laughs> Ranges. So, um, yeah, give me a follow on there. I always postings about plants and I'll also be posting photos of the plants in my garden that I've been talking about today too so uh, feel free to give that a follow. Good oh a question about the company though what sort of landscape design projects do they take on do they do domestic Uh, do they do commercial what's what's Sure thing. So we do both. Yeah. Uh, we do commercial and residential. Uh, our aesthetic is we do quite a lot of like succulents, quite quite similar to my taste, hence why I yeah. love working for them. <laughs> yeah. uh, lots of coastal sort of uh, looking gardens. Um, we have a exotic and native sort of mixed palette, which is quite nice. We do a few um, indoor installations too. Um, But as I said, like the direction of uh, the business at the moment is really going towards uh, trying to use a few more natives and things like that. Um, But, yes, that's mainly what we do. And then my role is I kind of help out with the plant selection and Mm. also with uh, consulting with the clients. So, yeah, it's a a great business to work for. And we're just based in Richmond actually on Bridge Road. Quite Mm. close by, really? Mm. Yes, (laughs) quite close to here. Now, Meryl, you better mention what you do again. Well, all sorts of things, but (laughs) just at the moment, (laughs) really concentrating on seeds for unusual, beautiful plants. On the whole, flowering plants with a particular emphasis on on hardiness, suitability to Australian gardening conditions, beautiful colour. I'm a colourist, I'm an artist Mm. at heart. And uh, so it's all about colour, about form, about texture, about growing well in Australian conditions and all sorts of something different. I love something different. 
but not necessarily difficult. Different and difficult are not necessarily synonymous. So it's Seedscape Seeds and Country Farm Perennials Nursery. And you can have a look at our website, www.seedscape.net.au. Or Lots of fun. Fantastic. Well, before I introduce me, I just noticed there's a text message up there I haven't dealt with because I can hardly read them. <laughs> um, and it's Anne from Kuirup wanting to know when to plant a gloriosa lily. Oh, now, I don't yes. grow them very often because they're not really cold hardy enough no, for up they're at Macedon. Not, no, they're not cold hardy enough for Gippsland either. But I would be thinking to wait a little while mm. and just at the end of winter, beginning of spring yeah. would be the perfect time. But keep it nice and, uh, well, moist. I, I would, not wet. <laughs> yeah, no, because you'll rot them out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You don't want to rot it. But some nice sand with a little bit of moisture in mm. it is a good way to store bulbs like that that mm. you have to hang on to for a little while. If you've got a sheltered place, if you've got a little... Um, unheated greenhouse or you've got a, a back porch or veranda, you could probably plant it now, mm. but you need to make sure you keep it away from any sniff of frost, which is why I don't grow them. Cause, no. Boy, do we, well, coming in this morning from Gippsland, uh, just east of Pakenham, it was point. Five degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not gloriosa type weather. Not gloriosa weather. So I hope that helps. And for those who don't know, uh, I'll just mention who I am again. So it's Stephen Ryan, Dixonia Rare Plants at Mount Macedon, um, and also co-host of the Haughty Culturalists on YouTube. Um, And... uh, I'm in here fairly regularly. <laughs> in fact, normally around about once a fortnight, so I'm around quite a lot. So if you want to ring us up, please do so. There's, all the lines are open at the moment, so you could ring us on our talkback number of 94190155, or you can send us a text if I can read them uh, on zero four triple eight zero nine eight double five. So there we go. All right, well... We've got a little break in the transmission as far as the call is uh, is concerned. I might perhaps mention a couple more. Well, I've only got two more plants to mention, so we might talk about those. Um, And this one here uh, that I Mm. want to talk about is, at least now, a hydrangea. What? Uh, uh, It's hydrangea febrifugia yellow wings. Now, the... Hydrangea genus has had a bit of a throw up in the air and fall back down again recently. And there were a whole range of genera that were around hydrangea that have now been pulled in under the net of hydrangea, which includes a couple of herbaceous perennials, believe it or not. Uh, Things that were known as dianthes are now hydrangeas. And you can always see the family resemblance. I mean, they had leaves like a hydrangea. Uh, Their flowers had hydrangea-esque like qualities of about clearly them. belong to the family yeah they clearly belong to the mm. family but they were a, a, certainly an individual genus this plant used to be in a genus called dicroa i was about to say looks awfully like a dicroa. yeah well exactly but all the dicroas are now, now hydrangeas as well yeah. and the, all the climbing relatives of the hydrangeas the schizophragmas and the pilostegias and things they're now all hydrangeas well thank goodness for that yeah really. it sort of makes it more um, simple really yes. the way. now yellow wings is an australian selection that was made by Don Teese. At least I think it was Don. It might have been his dad, Arnold. I'm not quite sure how far back Wonderful it goes. Wonderful family. Uh, they've bought into and released an incredible array of interesting plants in Australia. Now, this the 
What made dichroas different from hydrangeas was one, that they were fairly solidly evergreen. Uh, and secondly, their flower heads were composed of all proper flowers and the bracted outside flowers that you normally get on a hydrangea were absent. Mm. So you didn't get those bigger bracted flowers around the outside of a dichroa, mm. but the smaller flowers were actually larger in themselves than the average hydrangea. So they still made a very showy head. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, mm. lovely thing. So Febrifugia had, well, in my garden, it always seems to be slightly mauvey pink, uh, even in acidy soils. Yep. Uh, the more common one around is one called uh, Versicolor, which is quite a strong blue. Yes. Um, and this one has very handsome golden-edged leaves, irregularly golden-edged leaves. Uh, I'm not sure about the pinky mauve and the yellow leaves, but anyhow. I'm uh, loving it. Yeah. The idea that the contrast yeah. would be beautiful. So it makes a, an evergreen shrub up to around about a metre and a half. Um, Not terribly wide. It tends to be more upright. Uh, And like the more illustrious and well-known relatives in the hydrangea family, it likes much the same conditions. It likes the shade. It likes not too dry Mm. an aspect. Uh, What's its frost hardiness? Seems to be quite cold hardy. If it gets really frosty, it might become more deciduous. Yes, I I would believe so. So so you might lose a lot more leaves if you're in a frosty area, but I don't think you'll lose the plant. Plant. So is it just mainly the new growth that has that variegated sort of look on the leaf? It fades on the older leaves. Yeah, so it is basically the new growth that has the variegation. and so a well-grown plant will have sort of a mixture of variegated and, and, and faded leaves in mm. amongst it. And, it. and it can look quite pleasant. It's a, it's a really pretty shrub. Uh, and there's not an awful lot of variegates in the hydrangea group. There's a couple yeah, of variegates. Yeah, I was going to say, it's quite obscure. I, yeah. I quite like it. And, yeah. I you know, I've only just started to... Uh like variegated leaves. I used oh, to not yeah. be a fan uh, at here all. Here we go. You're, you're, yes, you're we're getting it. We're getting it. Yeah. yeah, my taste has changed. But um, variegated leaves now, as we've, as I uh, bang on about quite a lot, like I just love the contrast and texture it brings into a garden. And yeah. I think that, that that has a beautiful flower with it too. Yeah, like oh, exactly. that, that creates so much interest. Yeah. Um, and especially plants that like to grow in the shade I think Absolutely. are very yeah. valuable Variegation. Definitely. Variegated because mm. you can yeah. light up that mm. shade and bring a sparkle yeah. to a gloomy area yes. um, yeah. there's a hydrangea hydrangea macrophylla variegata mm. okay. which has variegated leaves but very pleasantly variegated leaves in yeah. that they're dark green um, with a, a white and cream variegation around the edge, a little bit mm. splashed, but yeah. but not, you know, not, not too rashly splashed. <laughs> yeah, I have to yeah. say though, if you're going to be variegated, you might as well be go the whole si- hog. Yeah, yeah, seriously variegated, because I think there <laughs> yeah. are some things that have been released into the into the marketplace that are variegated plants, but they're sort of wishy washy variegations. Yeah, and and I don't see the point in them. There was a, a nandina out there that I bumped into in a garden centre not that terribly long ago, and I can't remember what the name was. But it had this miserable little pinky, creamy sort of variegation Mm. through it. And it was very mottly. Because the foliage is already fine on most of the Nandinas, um, it just made no sort of no, impact. No, no. You know, in I, fact, it just I looks like the eel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't like mottly. I, I like a, a defined variegation mm. and particularly edges or yeah. stripes yeah. because they really do add So you shape probably and won't like the plant that I'm watching in my garden. Well, actually, I've got two variegates that I'm watching in the garden at home at the moment, both of which are splash variegations. Mm-hmm. Um, one mm. is a variegated rice paper 
a plant. Yes. Uh, Tetrapanax with its huge big oh, leaves. Yeah. And it's got this amazing splashes of gold through it. Yes, and but we've it, all got our fingers crossed it will hold. Yeah, I don't think it will. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's a dead end because it'll have to be grown from root cuttings and variegation often doesn't translate doesn't trans- back through no. the roots. No. So no. I'm going to have a crack at it and see if I can grow some root cuttings and see what happens. But the only other way to grow it would possibly be tissue culture. But then because the Tetrapanax suckers... And if it doesn't come up variegated from the roots, then it's eventually going to be swi- uh, sort of swamped out by the green one again. Yep. So I don't mm. think my variegated Tetrapanax has got anywhere to go. So I'm just taking lots of pictures of it to show people it did exist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the other one I've got that I'm watching at the moment, it's only got a, about oh, a 10, 20 centimetre branch on it. I've got a form of Micaea Bella uh, from um, South Africa, which is a great shade tolerant um, yeah. shrub coats with dry shade really well as well uh, and it's got splashes of yellow through the leaves uh, I'm going to call it sunstroke if it uh, <laughs> if, if it stabilizes and so I'm watching it like a hawk I want to leave some of the variegation on the plant and then take a piece away and propagate and if it doesn't strike I've still got the variegation in the plant so I'm waiting for it to sort of get big enough to be uh, able to take some yeah cuttings. so uh, yes. once I've got some cuttings of that I think it could be a really useful shrub in in heavy shade because it'll look like there's splashes of sunlight sunlight coming, coming beautiful. through yeah. so yeah, I think wow. it could work quite well so I'm hoping so yes, but variegations when they arrive on something they're often not stable no um, that's right. you know mm. they often go completely white and die or they go the other way and go green again yes. um, mm. so you need to trial a variegated plant for a while before you can feel confident that you've got something that's and, and basically the, stable. Well, there's a lovely asarum, which is a, a great ground cover plant for quite heavy shade. Yeah. Um, and usually they're just plain green forms. Lovely plants because shiny, uh, leathery foliage, mm. which is a really heavy-duty, good ground cover in, in deep shade. But uh, a treat because they smell like, oh, sort of cinnamon, beautiful cinnamony um, scent and weird flowers. And I do like weird occasionally. They're sort of like starfish and and in unusual. I think they look like they came out of Star Trek. Yes, exactly. (laughs) They are weird space alien flowers, but very, very uh, attractive. And at a good time of the year when there's not much else around. But there is a beauty. The one Mm. that I prize most of all is a sarum uh, winterwood and it comes from a garden called winterwood and it's a variegated one yeah. a lovely variegation it's it's sort of soft lemon cream and the dark green mm. but oh boy keeping the green ones from taking over is Constant yeah, and the uh, things with a lot of those asarums too is they'll self-seed amongst themselves. Yes, so you so get you, seedlings coming up that, that are, are going green. to be green. Yeah. So you've just um, got to pay attention to yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, and look, to be honest with you, Meryl, I, I will put the time into a ground cover or small shrub that you've got to deal with because it's not stable or it throws up its own seedlings or whatever. But I do not like a really large tree that reverts. Oh, no, because mm. yeah. that can look really scrappy. I mean, that variegated um, Queensland box, The what is it now? They used to be Tristania conferta. It's, uh... Uh, there's a Hymenosporum that is a variegated form. There's also an Agonis that's variegated. Mm. Mm, yeah, so, sure. well, there was this, the, the uh, Queensland box had a variegated form that had a huge 
creamy white centre to the leaf and it looked quite handsome as a young plant. But they invariably sent out reverted mm. branches once they got up. And, you know, who's going to clamber around like a monkey 40 yes, feet up in a tree to sure. get rid of the variegated bits? Well, I was, as I was saying before, I've brought in today Coria alba. You can actually get a, a variegated form of Coria alba that's Ooh. only a small shrub, only grows about a metre or so. The edge of the leaf is more of a golden, creamy sort of colour. And, you know, it just adds even more interest to yeah. the plant. Um, mm. That's probably one of my favourite variegated uh, Australian natives. But um, as I said, like there's a type of agonis. I think it's agonis flexulosa. Yeah, be wrong. There's, there's but there's a, it's called golden. Ver- it's like golden willow or pied piper or something like yeah. that. But there was an original variegate of that one, uh, which was just called variegata. Yeah, which had a very white edge around the leaf and yes. quite wide, so the whole tree looked white from a distance. Correct. Yeah, wasn't overly stable, and it was a bugger to propagate. No, it's 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 quite a challenging one mm. um, from experience. It's just it drops a lot of its leaves and things. But if you can grow it. And we would have customers who come in and they would have been growing it magnificently. Yeah. And I'm like, how did you do it? Um, which is quite good. But as I said, there's the Hymenosporum flavum. Um, it's called Halo Top. And that one I've actually recently saw at a garden centre. It's quite mm. commonly available now. But that in combination with those beautiful yellow and cream flowers, I think would be quite nice. But I don't know too much in terms of growing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, some variegates are much weaker than their green forms. Well, so correct. It's, yeah, it's an advantage. Right. Sometimes they stay smaller. Yeah, because well, they, they haven't got it. as much mm. chlorophyll, so mm. not as. Mm. Yeah, so, I, yeah. or... so anyhow, so there you go. A hydrangea with variegated foliage would make That's a good tub specimen. Um, and the final plant I bought in um, is a Labertia. Uh, oh. It's not an Australian one, though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, those leaves don't. Those leaves are really in. Like, those, yeah. They're very interesting, the It's colours. a lovely leaf. This is actually one of the New Zealand Labertias. Wow. So it's close enough. I mean, close New, enough. Yeah. New Zealand cousin. was offered coming into the Federation <laughs> when we federated back at the... <laughs> they turned us down. They did turn us down. Down, probably wisely from their perspective. <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, so New Zealand has a range of Labertia species. This one is Labertia peregrinans. It's an oldie but goodie. It's a good plant. Um, it doesn't clump like other Labertias. It runs. In fact, oh, okay. peregrinans means running. Uh, and so you end up with a drift of it. Yeah, it sneaks uh, around amongst yeah, other yeah. things so in will, our garden. I mean, it wouldn't. well, it's in one of those pots that only has the drainage holes in the bottom, so it'll struggle to get out of that. But if you had an ordinary pot with drainage holes on the side, before you know it, I'd have bits of it coming out the bottom of the pot. Mm. And I've seen it in drifts two metres wide, uh, and it has this amazing sort of olive green leaf with a brilliant orangey stripe down the centre of each leaf. And it it's really golden. colours off it colours up in the winter Yes, it gets really good colours in the winter. It gets the classical little white three-petaled Labertia-type flowers followed by the little orange seed pod. Mm. Um, So the flowers and the seed pods are ornamental in their own right. The Mm. whole plant rarely grows above 30 centimetres tall, Mm. uh, but the clump could easily, you know, spread out quite a distance. But it's not invasive. No, it's easy to pull out. And, and, yeah, it's it's not invasive. Does it still still prefer a shadier sort of spot? Like, can Uh, it tolerate it? it, No, no, it doesn't mind the sun as long as it's not dry, dry, dry. Yeah, because I know the Australian one does prefer a shadier, more damp sort of spot, but Mm. um, so I was wondering if that one can work as well. It can work very yeah. well in the yeah. shade, but it's so, not essential. Yeah, and I think its colour is better if it's out in the light more. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I would try and keep it out in the light just to keep the orange colour up. Mm, there beautiful. are a few hybrids I noticed that have been getting around over the last few years of this with different shades of reds and other colours, stripes in them. Mm. I still like the wild species 
personally. Oh, um, it's a great colour. It's, a it's really more good lime colour. green in the summer and yeah. then really orange mm. in a yeah. cold winter. Mm. So there you go. So a New Zealand native plant that you don't see around the traps all that often. Um, mm. And I think, sadly, because I think it's a really useful plant. It is. And, well, ours has certainly been going for a good 15 years yeah. with... Nary a uh, halt, yes, yeah. but not invasive. Just no, it's a good, a good plant for Bursia peregrinans. Uh, all right, we have got. Uh, all right, Stephen peering. Yeah, I'm peering at the screen trying to work out. Uh, Mim phoned in and would like advice on Osmanthus varieties, particularly for fragrance. Oh, they're lovely. <coughs> well. There's plenty of good fragrant osmanthuses, yes. and in fact, the vast majority of them are fragrant. Um, but, of course, the creme de la creme of Osmanthus for scent would have to be Osmanthus fragrance. Well, funnily enough, with funnily a name enough. like that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a Chinese tree or shrub, uh, but it can get to tree proportions given enough time. Not overly fast-growing. Uh, new growth probably, you know, in the old measurement, six or seven inches a year is about all you'd expect of it. Um, and if you want to keep it smaller, you can. It oh, yeah, it's very pruning yeah. very, very well. You could well. turn it into a hedge if you, you wanted could. to. Uh, now, Osmanthus fragrance has tiny white flowers, but there are also orange and yellow-flowered versions of it. But because the flowers are quite small, I'm not sure that the colour really matters that no. much. Uh, leathery dark green leaves... And it is the osmanthus of commerce in China. They use the flowers to scent tea. They use it in all Mm. sorts of cooking things. It also has medicinal purposes. Uh, So osmanthus fragrance is the one to go for if you want the really strong perfume. Having said that, uh, depending on where you are, I wouldn't recommend fragrance in really heavy frosty areas. It tends to burn. If you want a really highly fragrant Osmanthus and you're in a cold, frosty area, then you go for the hybrid one called Osmanthus Fortunii, uh, which is a cross between Fragrance and Osmanthus Amatus, I think, for memory. Uh, it's a big, bulky shrub. It has slightly holly-edged leaves, particularly when it's young. Its flowers are white. has a wonderful apricot fragrance that wafts all over the garden. Mm. Um but, you know, I hold the National Collection of Osmanthuses in my garden at Macedon, um, and I think I've got something like 20 different Osmanthuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are cultivars, so they're the same species, but cultivars of. And they're all great shrubs. Would they still mm. be, would any of them still be blooming when you have your open days at the end of August? Uh, the Osmanthus Berkwoodii and uh, and Delavei types might well be in flower, so the spring flowering ones. Yes. Uh, Osmanthus are interesting because there tends to be a group of spring flowering species and then the rest seem to be late summer autumn flowering species. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got two complete different seasonal groups uh, within them. And some have tiny wee little leaves. Others have quite big leathery leaves. Uh, I recently planted my display plant of Osmanthus unanensis in the garden at home, and it's got leaves that look rather like a small rhododendron leaf. It's, you know, they've got really big leaves. Uh, I haven't seen it flower, of course, so I don't know how good it is. Um, but a, a good excuse to have two because you need one for the autumn and then one for the yeah. late winter, early yeah. spring to just get more of that. Delicious perfume. Oh, that and, is delicious and perfume. And I have to say, too, the interesting thing with Osmanthus is they don't all smell quite the same. No, they do not. You Very know. different. Uh, I find uh, Delavei has a distinctly coconutty smell yep. to the flowers. And, in fact, I think it was one of the well-known English authors who said didn't like that one because it smelled like the cheap suntan lotion we used to use <laughs> in the 60s. <laughs> and that sort of put me off it a bit, but I still no, do no, like the I fragrance of it. I think that was wrong. Yeah, I think it was wrong as well. Uh, but the autumn ones tend to be much much fruitier so they tend to be more sort of apricots and that sort of thing so really fruity fragrances and 
I am a very strong believer in certain fragrances being great in a garden and some not so great. Um, can't stand jasmine. Ooh, oh, okay. I find it Don't agree with that. <laughs> jasmine is cloying and overpowering for me. Ooh, you know what I've been loving at the supple. moment, actually? My favourite is Jonquils. Yeah, well, I was going to say I they're another them. one I have problems with. Oh, I, I love them. They're people great. love them or they don't. Some yeah. people get, like my mum, she gets headaches when yes. she smells them you too much. But I love them. them. No, you can't put them in the no. house. No. I do. Yeah, well, I don't. Actually, I used to when I was a child because if I sleep in a room where there's Jonquils in a vase, I'll wake up the next morning and all my eyes will have touched. You don't up. have to go to school. I don't have to go to school. <laughs> I got away with that several times before my mother tweaked what was going on. So um, uh, I don't mind them in the garden. I love the perfume yeah. outdoors. But bringing jonquils into the house, whoa, I know, no. but one thing, one last one I'll say, and these are all exotics, might I add, so I'm doing quite well. Yeah. Um, hyacinths. I oh, really yes. love, I love the fragrance perfume. more than anything yeah. so much. Do I'm you have just... any tips on growing them, actually? Yes, you grow them, flower them, and chuck them away and get some new ones. No! Yes. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Yeah. No, just plant them. If you're in a warmer area, plant them yep. deeper. Yeah, So okay. they don't get the temperature variation. Yeah, Cold okay. climates like me, yeah. they, they last for years and years yeah. and years. Yeah, they would. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they can last for me for a long time. But if I want the really big fat heads, you do tend to get those off the bulbs that have been grown by the commercial growers and they fatten them up and get them ready to flower well. So you get those really big solid flowers yeah, on okay. them, which are lovely. But, you know, I've mentioned this one before, but the world's best fragrance has got to be winter sweet. Yes, and and I have to say I love Daphne's in all their various forms. Oh, I love another Daphne. family where they have such a variety of yeah, yeah, perfume. Yeah. Some even, are even not scented. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly yeah. so. Yeah, so or yes, they're a good group. Mm. Mm. Good for a shady spot too. I mean, um, my parents' house they've got a Daphne in a pot at the front door, so that's always a memory for me. The yeah. smell of Daphne walking into yes. before I walk and into that the is house. It's one lovely. That you do love to bring indoors. Yeah, yes, look, I definitely. Can with, I can live with Daphne in the house, but never Jasmine and never. Jonquils. No, my mum would ration the Daphne. She'd be like, only one stem. You can take one stem and that's it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think she was quite a sensible mother, really. Yes. You? you know, you don't want to be profligate with things like that. You want to no. enjoy them. So, mm. um, but yes, winter is a good time to I look out for perfumes. Say, yeah, definitely. It's the best time to go looking for yeah. perfume plants because mm. they're trying mm. to attract their pollinators mm. without well, that's having even... lots of flower space. Well, even the Plectranthus that I brought in, as I said before, that has quite a strong fragrance on it too. And I mean, the bees, they just love it. Yes. Um, but it's more of a savoury scent, actually. Mm. It's quite, it smells like a herb yes. almost. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, perfumes are well worth looking out for. So, yes, getting back to Osmanthuses, though. Warmer climates, fragrance, definitely. Colder climates, Fortunii. And if you want to really ramp things up, get one of the spring flowering ones like Delavei, Berkwood Eye. Actually, there's a couple of Delavei selections out there. They're not actually hybrids. They're selections that have been sold. One's Heaven Scent and one's Pearly Gates. Um, and they're just selections from the wild of uh, Osmanthus Delavei forms. And they've got a lovely perfume. So yes. definitely worthwhile. All right, well, it's uh, just after nine o'clock. It's uh, three minutes past nine. We're going through till quarter past nine. So you've got time to ring in if you um, would like to. So you can ring us on 94190155 or SMS us on 04888089855. I'll mention again the Radiothon. Please do keep in mind we've got product. We've still got money that we'd like to raise. We haven't re reached our um, particular budget we were trying to hit. So 
We've done very well, and I thank everybody who's donated. And, of course, if you have uh, made a promise, please do send the money in as quickly as you can because the station can use it. But come in and see the station during the week. I'm sure they've got some product here that they'd be more than happy for you to take home for a small donation. So come in and see us and, and help us out if you can. So there you go. Now, what are we going to do? Oh, you've still got a couple of packets of seed we haven't I talked have. about, Meryl. Can I, I ask, Meryl, I'm just eyeing off the Echinops. Can yes. you tell me a bit about them? Oh, they are wonderful plants. Um, well, as you can see from the photograph, as I'm holding it up to the microphone so the viewers can see, <laughs> it has golf ball, sometimes tennis ball sized, perfectly circular flowers. Now, it's actually a head because it's made up of literally hundreds, if not thousands, of tiny little flowers which are extremely rich in nectar. So we were talking earlier about feeding our bees and our butterflies say, yeah. and all our pollinators. Econops are just the trick for that. But what handsome flowers with these globes of, of blooms, um, very dry hardy, very heat hardy, excellent plant for Australian garden conditions and for, for gardeners who have limited supply of water, great selection mm. of plant. They're very good cut flowers, last for ages in a vase, and big, long, straight, clean, strong stems. So, mm. again, excellent for our Because I was going to say, we often use it in designs at work, so that's yes. why I wanted to know a little bit more about it because yes. um, it's the colour. I, I love it. The, there's mm. such a range. Well, no. And the structure a, too. Not a whole range of colour in that they only come through from deep blue. This is one called Echinops Rytro subspecies Ruthenicus, which is probably the darkest coloured one that we have. So it's mm. a lovely, deep, almost a navy blue, mm. then through all sorts of shades of blue, blue-violet, and into whites and creams. No one, to my knowledge yet, has had a red one, but there's always, <laughs> Why would you? always time. Why would Why you, you want a red you one? You have, have a navy blue one, yeah. yes, or a, Definitely. Or a silver-violet blue one. But uh, birds... Even our honey-eating birds just absolutely adore this plant because mm. it's so rich in nectar. But what I perhaps most love about it is the structure of its foliage. It looks like okay. a giant grey thistle. Yes, it is thistly like isn't it? In yeah. foliage, it's very thistle-like. Now, do not run screaming. <laughs> this is a nice thistle. That I like using. the form of a thistle. I, I think do it too. has it's enormous mm. structural oh, quality. Oh, that's yeah. it. But these are not. They're not spiky. They're they're not invasive. They're just a lovely garden mm. plant. And again, they've got that quite open structure that we were mm. talking about, Michaela. So yeah. that you can see through them. They make a big impact, but they don't take over. Yeah, um, mm. and they just clump up. They're a nice clumping perennial. Yeah. So. Uh, we've got a couple of text messages that have come in. While you two ladies have been chatting, I've actually stood up and looked at closely. So I can work <laughs> on um, one is that um, somebody rang in wanting to know whether we'd mentioned Baronia as a perfume. Well, I was literally, I was just thinking it. I was just thinking it. And, you know, there's so many different cultivars of yeah. Baronia. Yeah. Some of them colors. have exquisite fragrance. Tricky, yeah. though. Tricky yeah, they can plants. be tricky plants. And somebody else rang in and they got a book that they purchased from 3CR, uh, The Explorer's Garden Guide by Dan Hinckley. Oh, Very great. Good, good book. Yes, good, good book. book. But 
Uh, it mentions Elysium Anasatum uh, as pictured in the book in a variegated form, and they Ooh. wanted to know whether it's here. As far as I know, it isn't. No, I can, haven't mm. spotted it either. Yeah, Not, so no. you can get Elysium Anasatum here, certainly, so the green yes. leaf form with its lovely creamy, greeny yellow flowers uh, and seriously aromatic foliage. Um, but, yes, as far as I know, the variegated form hasn't hit our shores and it probably won't with the difficulties of bringing plant yes. material in. Yes. So I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so I've worked out a trick. While somebody else is talking, I can stand up and have a look at the monitor <laughs> and, and then get back onto the, uh, onto the microphone. So but, that's but working. But good more. job mentioning Baronia because mm. why not? They're mm. our, our own Australian plants. They and are. So much breeding work's gone into them recently that we mm. have got some lovely, mm. lovely colour forms. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm sad that they've bred ones without fragrance because I think really the fragrance is the best bit. I do also uh, there are so many I could talk about but one that a friend uh, brought my attention to that it was the blue wave baronia it's like a beautiful blue bluey purple sort of color not that strong in fragrance but Mm. I quite liked it Um, but in terms of how like Plain Baronia Megastigma Brown Baronia that quite commonly mm. people grow because such a strong fragrance. Um, personally, I always grow them in pots because I yes. find them quite difficult. I use mm. a native potting mix, quite well drained, and in like a little bit of morning sun and then more so a shadier sort of yes. spot I think they thrive in. And then once they're finished, I prune it back super hard, put yeah. it in the back of the garden, forget about it until next season. Yeah. <laughs> but look, even if you only get one season out of oh, it, it's great. It's better than – it's more value than purchasing a bunch Definitely. of flowers. From the florist. Well, I mean, I usually, um, I actually bring mine indoors sometimes yes. just so I can have that scent in the house. It's yes. really lovely. And quite often, actually, when I was at the nursery, florists would call up and say, hey, can we buy some baronia off you? And yeah. they would sell it in the florist shop just in pots, yeah. yes. you know, because it lasts it longer. Good, it is a good cut flower too. It you? is. It actually lasts quite a long it time. It does last yeah. well in a vase. Yeah. 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 My mum important. used to have a brown baronia in her garden up at Mount Macedon oh, uh, okay. that lasted for about 12 or 15 years. That would be a uh, very wow. venerable and one. And <laughs> we used to hack it back to Billy every year. It I was, think that's the trick. That's the trick, yeah. Growing almost under the canopy of a big old tree fern uh, and it flourished and we had a pink baronia, the, what was it, heterophylla, is it? Is yeah. It? Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and it grew to about three metres tall and mm. it was this humongous big bush full of pink flowers and one year we got a heavy snowfall that pulled it over to the ground. <laughs> Dad whacked a star stake in the ground, tied it all back up again, and it went on for another four or five years. <laughs> so, That's so so they great. grow really Fooey well. to the idea Madison. that yeah. they're difficult to grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now we've got a call coming in. We'll have to keep our eye on the time because we are starting to get towards the end of the program. It's now 11 minutes past, so we've only got four minutes to go. Um, and Bernie from Lang Warren wants to know if he can move a one-year-old salvia. I would imagine oh, you can yes, move absolutely. any salvia. They're yeah. quite tough, they're, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. they're easy yeah. to move. So, it's a good time of the year to move it too. Yes, yeah, so I would definitely consider doing that. I think that's a, a reasonable uh, where, thing to do. Where did Bernie come from? Uh, Lang Warren. Oh, okay. So hopefully not too frosty down there. I'd mm. rip into it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yep, cut it back hard. Yeah, absolutely. Root prune it. You might nice even be hole. able to divide it when you lift it up because a lot of salvias you can, can divide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you could end up with several yes. salvias. Uh, having said that, of course, we don't know which salvia no. uh, we're working with. So, but they they're all... all pretty tough. So oh, I'd yeah. just go for it. Yeah, that mm. sounds like a move. Now we've only got uh, about three minutes to go, so we might start winding up. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in. Don't forget to come in and get some more product and donate towards the Three CR Gardening Program. 
I mean, we come in for nothing. So, you know, you can help support the station and keep us going, which would be really, really good. Um, Thank you, Michaelia. Thank you um, to you as well, Meryl. Thank you to Doug Off Air. Um, We've had a good morning this morning. So uh, I hope we'll hear from you all next week. (laughs) 